Hello, sword people. This is Guy Windsor, also known as The Sword Guy, and I'm here today with Jessica Gomes, who is co-founder of the Velha Guarda Marcial in Portugal. I met Jessica a little while ago at an online event hosted by one of the Portuguese organizations where she was giving a presentation, and I thought she would be an excellent guest for the show. So without further ado, Jessica, welcome. Hi, Guy, and hi, everybody listening. Um... So, Jessica, whereabouts are you? moment oh so i'm living in portugal uh in the res in sintra which is in the region of lisbon so if you know this area it's basically one of the most western points of europe <laughs> next to a lovely little serra which is a, a mountain so it's full of lush lush vegetation it's green and it's beautiful it's by the sea <laughs> oh lovely uh, but you, you weren't in Portugal your whole life, is that correct? Yeah, that's that's right. Um, I was born in South Africa, and my my roots are from Portugal, both from my my mother's side and my father. And we ended up coming back when I was around about nine. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> Have you been back to visit South Africa since? Only once, <laughs> and it was so different. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I lived in Botswana in the 1980s, and I would just love to go back, but I'm worried that if I do, I'll never leave. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I, uh, I was really surprised to learn that, too. I only learned that recently. <laughs> do you have many memories of there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the place vividly. I was, uh, we moved there when I was about uh, seven, I think, and we left when I was about 13. So, yeah, I... Yeah, Africa is a special place. It's like, I don't know. I, I went back to Zimbabwe in 92 with a, a school trip. Mm. Um, basically, my school big band was doing a kind of tour of schools in Zimbabwe, and I went along with that playing the trumpet. And when I got off the plane in Harare, and there's that kind of particular smell of like kind of heat and mm -hmm. dust and a bit of wood smoke. Yeah. And I just got this really profound sense of, oh, I'm home, which is weird because I'd never really been to Zimbabwe. Yeah. I mean, I visited it once or so. So Zimbabwe itself was never home. It was Botswana. But but just that sense of, ah, okay. Uh, it was just a fantastic trip because it just felt like being home the whole time. Oh, <laughs> that's strong. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I, I, don't, I don't dare go back because yeah, I'll never leave. <laughs> Um, so whereabouts in South Africa were you? Um, I was living in um, Rulach, which is, uh, well, it's basically one of the suburbs of um, Johannesburg, uh, but some kilometers out. And it was, uh, you know, those new areas. Uh, uh, so it wasn't really in the densest part of Joburg. And, um, well, I have a lot of good memories and a lot of space. There's a lot of space there. <laughs> and the Cape, I have good memories of Cape Town. It's very beautiful. And, and the, you know, the, um, it's so frequent to, to just see uh, penguins at, at the beach or, or go around the town. This is more in Cape Town and you just see baboons going past in town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and sea lions also they're on the docks rolling around <laughs> nature yeah. is like so in, entwined with the, the town is yeah it? we had a family holiday near there once a long time ago and it, it yeah it was fantastic it's exactly as you described there's just like African an animals kind of wandering about and, <laughs> yeah yeah and we saw this I remember the sea lions too mm -hmm. that was a long time ago though yeah. So you know, the like that you will know that that defining moment after when the first rain comes and after it stops and you can suddenly see twice as far as you could and all the plants have had the dust washed off their leaves and suddenly everything is green. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just they got their faces washed a bit and now they're shiny. <laughs> yeah. That's ah, amazing. Oh, and, God. And okay. also the, the thunder there, oh, it was beautiful. It was like when in, in the summer, the thunder, right? Mm. 
you see thunder a lot, and I just love the, those moments. Uh, ah, yeah, but then parents move away, and you have to go with them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you've been in Portugal ever since, is that correct? Yeah, I've been. I've been here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and when did you start historical martial arts? How did that come about? Oh. Um, well, I actually started um, doing. I don't think at the moment uh, at the moment I started that I would call it historical martial martial arts because it was a bit mixed mixed with um, uh, reenactment uh, training or mm-hmm. stage combat because the group that I, I joined was uh, very into the, the medieval fairs and the historical reenactments. But there was some training to to back that up. Uh, and there was mention of the sources, but like uh, it wasn't going deep into the to the sources. Like there, uh, there wasn't a system or systems being um, studied. Like I don't know from one end to the other. But this was like ra- around about 2011 that I, I found a group. Actually, it was my my partner Pedro that found a group because we were already starving for some action for like a year and a half before uh, we had just left another um, martial arts uh, group that we had been practicing together, um, which was like this whole mixture of from Kendo to Hojo Jutsu, which is with the, with ropes in, in the, Japanese uh, martial systems, and there was a little bit of. Sorry. Sorry, did you say with ropes? Yeah, with ropes. So basically, how to tie people up. Yeah, but it's not that other <laughs> rope. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. We're we're a very broad-minded show here. No, that's, that's the, no I think it's very interesting. <laughs> I forgot the nom- the name of the other rope tying, but anyway. Um, and also a little bit of Kaladi Payatu, uh, you know, working on the ground. There were a lot of throws. There were a lot of um, locks. There's a lot, like, working close up and going to the ground. So that really gave us a good, I think, a good base and preparation. Uh, at least for me, it was feeding into my <laughs> into my love for um, wrestling and, and close-up combat. Um, but like what we did with swords, because it was some sword working, it was essentially katas with bookends and only the most graduate ones would receive, uh, the opportunity to work with, uh, an iron katana. But I mean, even, even that they would be doing katash, so they wouldn't be yeah. doing combat. And I remember once... Only once we had the opportunity to to put on a full equipment with, um, you know, the candle mask and the, the chest protection and the, the um, not I don't remember how you say the it's not the kimono it's the protective uh, dress <laughs> and it was awesome just to see the intricate intricate uh, ties that were going on all around like whoa what's this but only that moment we we did some combat with Kendall was like in one lesson so um I thought that we would be doing more you know <laughs> so yeah. it's great to actually find Hammer later on we we found Hammer uh, we it was out of surprise because we were actually considering LARPing groups because uh, it was really hard to find something at least around our area in that sense that we'd be working with swords, weapons, um, and if possible, also uh, body co- close body combat. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important, important to, to get, get a... a... Oh, hang, hang on a second. second. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, just, I'm getting a really strong echo. Really? I can hear it. Yeah, I can hear everything I'm saying twice. Um, okay, what, um, what can I do to, to help? Because I've let got... Me, let me just check what's going Okay, it seems to have gone away now. 
Okay, I just need to make a note of the time. Okay. All right, I will edit that out. Okay, that's weird. It seems to have gone away. It's probably something in the software then. Well, you know, I had my mic under the table whilst I was talking. Now I pulled it up. That might have had some influence, I guess. Okay. Yeah, well, I think we're okay. All right, let's let's carry on. So, um, yeah, I was about to say something about historical martial arts groups, wasn't I? Yes. Yeah, so, so the hardest part uh, – hang on, let me think. Yeah, it's really important that you find a club that does the things that you want to do at that particular time in your career. So it might – it might be that you you really need to get some sparring training in or you really need something that has wrestling or you really need to be working with knives or ropes or sticks or whatever else. And finding finding a training environment in which you can do the thing that you are showing up to do. I think that's really important. Yeah. And it's it's something that it's easily forgotten by the people who run the clubs who maybe don't understand that not everyone's needs are the same. Mm-hmm. That's so, true. It's not, it's not even really a criticism of a club to say, well, okay, that's great, but it's not really what I'm looking for right now. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, that can that obviously happens, you know, and you can't obviously, um, you can't care to everybody's wants and needs. But, I mean, when you when you say you're doing something and you're not actually doing it, that, that already is <laughs> that's a, annoying. That's a no. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's a trading standards problem, isn't it? Uh, sorry? It's a trading standards problem. Mm. Uh, I yeah, don't... Like, like a tra- trading standards is the laws that say, okay, if you buy a packet of crisps and it says it's uh, 50 grams, then you should get 50 grams of uh, crisps. Yeah, sure, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and it's it, it's we see the same sort of thing all over the place where um, – you know, if, if people are doing, for example, a a sport version of a system, and that's what they say they're doing, um, absolutely fine. If they say that they're, you know, if you see somebody with, I don't know, an, a modern epee, and they're prancing around and fencing with that, and they're calling it rapier, then maybe there's a maybe there's a problem. Um, yeah. Okay, so. So you branched off and started your own club at this stage, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, okay. What is your club all about? How do you guys train? Well, um, it's the Velha Guarda. We we basically we start off with uh, at least three main systems. We're progressively doing Girat a, a, a full cycle of a year which is uh, Fiori's medieval system. And in his system, uh, we do everything except the on on horseback <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but we also uh, do the Capo Ferro rapier system uh, up until at least sword and dagger because we haven't got capes yet. We do have, uh, okay. we do have rotellas, but we... We do one play or another from time to time. We're not like sure. going. Well, forward. it's not it's it's not a very big part of Capoeira's system, is it? Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's also quite heavy. So if we have like younger students, we we'll just bring it in once in a while just to so they can get that idea that we're also working with shields and it's possible to work with the raker. Um, and then we do jogo do pau which is a uh, Portuguese star fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And basically we, our lessons are like thought out through the year, what, what objectives we have to, we'd like to attain or achieve, but each lesson we also adapt to the people that are there because there might be a lesson that there is like only one person that is um, interested in something else. and. We'd say, okay, if today you're here and you'd like to do something else, let's see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we we have a lot of um, preoccupation, I think, or or try to give a lot of attention to uh, body conditioning. Mm. Um, 
at least like half an hour in the beginning of each lesson is dedicated to that. We were always trying to mix things up so that people don't fall into this, um, you know, repetitive patterns. We change the exercises, we change the intent of the exercises. Um, and right now, because um, we can't like run a lot around, <laughs> we're, we're changing up the, the exercises to other things like more calisthenic. And okay. it's good because you can see that people pro progressively also, you know, strengthen, strengthen that. Um, yeah. And then we, we have the, the technical part of the, the lesson we, which we try to do a play or two or, or more and we de deconstruct it technically or into drills that we think that might benefit certain aspects or objectives. And in the end, we love to have like at least half an hour of, free, of sparring and uh, it was really great because especially working with um, the younger younger classes I mean we, we can we easily can uh, integrate different age groups that's not a problem for us because during the the technical side we'd like work pair people up more or less by their 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 body constitution or where they are at in technically but in the end it's fun to just have everybody spar. And okay. one, of, one of the most funnest sparring moments is when everybody has to spar each other. So you, it's, it's really cool to see how the younger kids in the beginning, they're like really confused because we're using the whole field and, and they, they just think individually, but then they start understanding <laughs> they can actually make uh, alliances or, you know, oh, right. so you're so you're, you're sparring like a, as a melee? If they want. Oh, they, right. They, they yeah. just have to. <laughs> um, yeah, we also do capture the flags. And it's it's really cool to see um, them understanding, okay, you can actually integrate uh, alliances, but you also have to use a strategy against various uh, opponents. And once in a while, we also try to bring in Gudinho, Luis Gudinho, um, uh, especially we use that a little bit in the Jogue du Pau. Jogue du Pau has already similar premises, you know, combat against uh, various opponents. But also with the longsword, we try and integrate those notions, you know, you have to step out of the line between two opponents. You have to always manage to see them in the corner of both of your eyes. When you approximate one, you have to try and push him out. It's not... It's not that you want to beat him, you just want to push him out so you can gain some space to, to get out. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really fun to, to see those different sparring situations, you know, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but, you know, have different opponents, changes your, your fighting. Absolutely. So what sort of equipment are you using when you're doing this kind of everyone against everyone? Okay, so if it's um, if it's the the longsword, we'd be using those, um, I don't know the proper name of the brand now because Pedro is usually a lot better with the brand names, but it's those rubber, not rubber, a sponge with the black um, tissue that covers them. They're quite... Um, so the padded swords, basically. padded, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and... If it's with the the rapier, we use the like the the triangular um, the triangular section ones. You know, that's right. Yeah, similar more flexible. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and but everybody has to get in protected, fully protected. With the padded swords, it depends. Uh, like, if we're just trying to do lightly, we'll, we'll say, okay, you you got your mask, you got your chest protector, you got your gloves. But do it lightly because those can also hurt, obviously. Oh, and the, and there's another for the the younger kids. We we found a great um, supplier which is in Spain. Uh, John John he does these um, <laughs> noodle swords. I don't oh know. wow! Have you have you heard of them? Yeah, 
Yeah, like, like made, made of pool noodles. Basically, exactly. it's almost impossible to hurt a person with yeah, those. Yeah, exactly. When we use yeah. those, even with adults, yeah, you just need your mask because those are like yeah. pre- pretty safe. <laughs> okay. Um, now, I'm, I'm completely – I, I totally get having Fiore Longsword or Fiore's system and Capofera Rapier. It's like you're describing me. Okay. On, on, in my school logo, I have a longsword and a rapier behind a shield, and it's Fiore and it's Cabafera, and th- those are like my two kind of core arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've I've met Luis Preto, who teaches Jogo um, de Pau, mm-hmm. uh, a long time ago in in Dallas, I think it was, um, and I got his book. But I don't really know very much about yoga to power, and I don't think the average listener will too. So, would you like to maybe describe it a bit and and say how it how it sort of interacts with or or supports and expands your longsword and rapier studies? Oh sure, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Because <laughs> yoga to power, uh, we've I, I've been so interested in, in it for years, and when I finally you know said okay, let's get into it. It unlocked um, a lot of great notions, like that I applied instantly to to the longsword. So Luis Preto, like you say, he he trained with um, um, a living master who was called Nunuhus Mestre Nunuhus, which is more of the Lisbon area. And basically, what Nunuhus did is, in his uh, prime time, he went and he he visited all these different uh, schools in Portugal that were training Jogo de Pau, jo- uh, schools or groups of people that were actively still doing it. And it, a little bit like that um, idea of Musashi, you know, he went there and he also challenged some, some people. But basically what he did is he collected a lot of information with his, his previous master. And then uh, he, out of that grand compilation that his his master was, you know, trying to accumulate all of this information, because uh, they were always in this fear that it might get lost, you know, because people might just lose interest in this culture, and so that's why they did that that survey. Um, uh, Nun Husu had a different idea. He said, you know what, out of all of this, um, I think that this little part of the is efficient. So he basically extracted the, the parts that he thought was efficient and he dedicated himself to that. And I'm talking about Nun Husu because uh, I learned more from his school. Uh, I learned uh, through uh, Ricardo Moro, which was in his school. And just to say that Jogo de Pau is very vast in, in, in yeah, you know, it, um, it's like, it's this, it's a staff. So basically you're using both your hands, right? So it, it kind of makes the strong of your weapon go way up until the tip, not like on the sword, even though you're putting two hands. Here on the staff, yeah. you're putting the two hands uh, more or less apart the width of your shoulders so that means that you can defend the blows very near to the to the tip of the the staff which is great and which means that your hands would want would really appreciate that because you don't have a guard (laughs) so and all the the hits uh the blows are delivered um with inertia so you really have to swing it 180 degrees at least so it gains some inertia to, to break bones. And what this does is for you to properly gain this inertia, you have to know how to, to move your, your hips and to spring them like the boxers do in, in the adequate momentum with your, your arm working. And, and then footworking is like so similar to um, Fiori. In the in the sense that <laughs> they call a crescere, they call the crescere. <laughs> so it's like you know, oh, wow. <laughs> in terms of language, there's a lot of um, easily fixed fixes, you know, matches, um, and also 
the 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 stance, you know, the the way your your weight falls in, and the way your your legs like or your your heels aren't on the uh, aligned. Um, yeah, and then there's little details that they go into because it's a living art, like the hip swing, like the um, the middle uh, steps you have in between the crescere and the decrescere, because they're all, they call it the mayu paso, which means the middle step. And in the mayu paso, you can still throw in uh, another type of blow, you know. So they, it, it really feeds into to uh, sword fighting very well, uh, and also. You know, just realizing that from the sword, you can you can really gain inertia with a, a whole 180 degree blow, with, which is delivers a lot more power, obviously, but it also takes more time, uh, and and it it helps. I don't know. At least for me, it helped. You know, just organize in my mind different possibilities with the sword. I can also do deliver with a 90 degree, but it would have to have a more cutting motion. Uh, those kind of things. Um, yeah, sure. We're dependent on the edge. Exactly. <laughs> and they also have pontuada, um, which is like a, it's a thrusting movement, but because it's supposedly blunt, or you know, it's just the the section of the, the stuff. You have to think of it as a <clears throat> yeah, really like wanting to punch <laughs> with all the force of your body. So. It really puts your your footwork in check, you know, has to be uh, well worked. Oh, an interesting thing though, when they when they do uh, the turning uh, motions, uh, like uh, t- turning on like a volta stabile, let's say, they turn on their heels, and it's ah, that's it's, weird. It's weird, but I'd recommend to try it a bit, especially when you're like swinging you know, the sword around, just feel how it goes. Because um, I've arrived to the conclusion that it, it, it also works. I think it works best when when doing with a, a weapon than with the throws. But I haven't tried this much with the throws just because the turning on the tip of the toes feels a lot more comfortable. But anyway, when, I, when I'm doing throws with the, you know, abrazari throws, um, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of um, well, there's, it's it's very exciting because it's a, a living art. Uh, so there are a lot of active schools or groups that are still in Portugal, and not just in Portugal. Obviously, in, in Spain too, it's, it's it's bigger than that. It's Iberian. It's not just there's not just the Portuguese jogo do pau. There's other jogos do pau, and then there's the ones that stayed in the islands, like in in Madeira and Açores which are islands of uh, Portuguese uh, territory. But then you also have the Canary Islands and the, the Mallorca and Menorca. And here in the north of Portugal, at least once per year, they try and make a gathering of different schools, not just in Portugal, but they also invite other schools. Uh, and it's, it's this big demonstration. And it's so cool to see that, they still cherish this uh, more in the north, you know, because it, it's more more present there. And, and it's really cool to see that they have differences. Like um, they they like to work with one hand, <laughs> which is I think is still a bit you know scary for me. Like because it feels a lot more like you're you're relinquishing the other hand to gain. Um, space but at the same time <laughs> it's a bit more weaker if it receives a blow but i don't know it's it's really cool to see these different styles um, wow so, so w- what is the primary context in which yoga de power is supposed to work in the primary context that's a good question oh, oh because it, the most recent context that we know of um is it was a everyday uh you know, tool for shepherds. Uh, you'd always have this uh, stuff uh, to herd your, you know. And then it started becoming very present in the, the sense that different um, <laughs> aldeias, oh, I'm forgetting the term in, in English. 
villages, different villages yeah. Yeah. would have parties, you know, which we, which we called feiras. And once in a while, uh, like guys from one village would come and visit the other ones and would probably try and show, show off that they're better or get, get into fights. And, and obviously everybody would have theirs, not everybody, but a lot of people had have their staffs and love the opportunity to just uh, what we call is which means to to sweep the, the fair, <laughs> which is basically okay. twirling it around and distributing chaos, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> so so it's 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 a basically it's a Portuguese party, party weapon. weapon. <laughs> I love that description. Yeah, I think that's the best description. It's a party uh, weapon. Awesome. <laughs> uh, you just sold me on it. I need, I need to come over to Portugal and, and learn some Jogo de Pau. That's, yeah. Yeah, that would be that. great. <laughs> a lot of party. <laughs> and, yeah, um, what I know is, like, until more recently, probably two decades ago, in the more remote villages, uh, the the person that was the best uh, jogador, the best player, would also assume this responsibility of like defending, you know, defending his village. And if something happens, he would be probably more respected than if the the national guard had to appear. So, you know, uh, it's interesting. And obviously, we the oldest um, the oldest uh, texts we have that are more technical about this in Portugal uh, only go up into 18th century. And then there's a lot of uh, extrapolation, a lot of people that say, oh, yes, but this obviously has to do with the montante. And uh, this is obviously um, people that were poor that didn't have uh, money to buy iron swords or they they would resort to this. I mean, yes, uh, you never know exactly how it evolved because, unfortunately, you don't have written um, material about it, but yeah, you can you can um, hypothesize, uh, but you'll never know exactly how how this gained form or expression. And because also a staff is like the most ancient available weapon, or a club is the most ancient available weapon to men. So yeah, <laughs> it's hard to yeah, yeah, like, to pinpoint how it went. Yeah, I mean, sticks sticks stick are the, the first weapon, sort of first handheld, handheld weapon. weapon. And, and the thrown rock is the first projectile. <laughs> yeah, pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, and we have so you said something about basically like a shepherd's staff, mm-hmm. and also, of course, you know, famously, like King David was a shepherd, and he used his sling to keep the wolves away from the sheep, and then he used the same sling to take down Goliath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the slings. Well, we we obvious we how do you say we. You obviously go over the sling without giving it the proper appreciation because it was such a, a cheap weapon to build and easy to build, and it's so deadly. And I just love I love this the, the stories of the Romans coming past the, the island of Mallorca and getting their ships wrecked with <laughs> with the the slingshotters like their kids. They were since they were small, they were like taught to to do that, and they had different lengths of the of the slings so they would use longer ones around their um around their neck and their waist uh, to reach longer distances and at, in, at such a point that the romans would actually um cover their hull the hulls of the ships with with uh, i think skin if i'm not wrong uh with leather uh, to protect those <laughs> you know the the projectiles going through Sure. So, um, is there a living tradition of sling shotting in in Portugal that you know of? That I know of, no, no. Okay. Actually, because I've I've heard stories about Mallorca. A friend of mine called uh, Kevin O'Brien um, gave me a sling lesson mm. some some while ago, and yeah, it's really astonishing how far you can start throwing things if you just put them in a piece of string first and spin it around and yeah, he, there's, there are stories of like um, New York and Jeff of the King says, see that that opposing king over there riding his horse back and forth. I want you to kill him. Um, 
and and the reply is, which eye should I hit him through, sir? Because <laughs> <laughs> they they were apparently like ridiculously accurate and yeah. and absolutely lethal. But okay, so um, so you have in your club you you do Furies, um, foot combat stuff. You do Capoeira and you do Jogo de Pau. Are you teaching all of these things? Yes. Yes. Um, wow. Okay. So you, yeah. Sorry, if you're going to go on to the question. <laughs> is it, is <laughs> no, that's okay. You go for it. So, so, okay. So here's a, here's a question that I'm. I know the answer to this because I teach like I know ten different systems, and to me it's quite straightforward. But a lot of people ask me, how do you keep them separate? How do you prevent your, for example, your fury from messing up your Jogo de Pau or your Jogo de Pau from messing up your Capoeira? Yeah, that that's uh, interesting, and it's very real thing, right? Because in the beginning with Jogo de Pau, when when me and Pedro started like training, it was oof, it was like oh my gosh, now I don't know how to do how to go back to the sword easily because there are things that stay there. But I think as time goes on, you you blend it in the sense that you understand that. Certain things are are basically the same, and there are other things that, although aren't the same, you can decide to integrate it because your body is already knowing how to to adapt it. But one thing is when you're doing for yourself, like when you're you're sparring or you're in combat, that 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 can totally happen, and I think that's actually interesting that happens that your body can integrate it. But when we're giving the lesson. Or when we were transmitting information, at least we try and be very conscious and um, bring that up. You know, say, okay, this comes from this, and this comes from that. But we're doing, for example, we're doing longsword. This is how how it's taught in 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 Fiori's uh, system. But there are certain parts that we can, you know, cover the voids if you think. You you know just at least bring to attention that that's not part of the the Fiori system, but integrate things. You know, uh, I don't see any problem with that as long as you're admitting to what what's going on. <laughs> yeah, as long as your source is clear. Yeah. Yeah, which comes back to the trading standards thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and and particularly in the early days, I used to do that quite a lot, where I would. I would find in some other art a solution to a problem because my theory interpretation wasn't fully developed yet. And so I would borrow things. Mm-hmm. And then as I got deeper and deeper into Fiore, I was borrowing less and less and kind of squeezing the borrowed stuff out. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up with something relatively pure. But I don't think I'd have got there without without the borrowings as a kind of necessary sort of step along the way. Yeah, exactly. It's quite interesting because we have one of our um, friends that is also from Jogdupal, and he he wanted to start training with us uh, rapier. So I said, cool. And it's so funny because you do see Jogdupal is his, his baseline, so it's his preparation. And he does integrate certain things of like switching the, the guards, but he does it in such a a quick manner, in such a – controlled manner that it, it seems to be working for him. So it's it's really interesting to see somebody with a rapier and once in a while their legs are Jogues de Pau. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, just so, as long as he doesn't start holding the rapier by the middle and swinging <laughs> it around his head. <laughs> yeah, that's totally different. Splendid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so you've been doing this quite a long time then. Um, ten, yeah. 10 years or so? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you may be a little bit too experienced for this question to really uh, work, but what advice would you give beginners starting out, people who are just thinking of getting into this? Um, okay. Uh, I'd say, you know, try and contact people around you. Get Get your networking system you know, ready. Um, I understand the 
how how the laws work in your country, what or how do you want to present the the activity that you're doing? I'm saying this because uh, here in Portugal, like there are a lot of different um, groups that that practice martial arts um, under the premise of cultural uh, activities because it's something that's not really instituted in in the country. And here in Portugal, we have a lack of certain entities, so so that's why. You might find this falling <laughs> into a whole new area, but Hema, uh, Hema is the same thing I think for a lot of countries. So um, try and understand if you can create a cultural group uh, or a study group first before you go into the more you know harder phase, which is creating uh, a, an association or a, a club, um, because that will will bring, I think, a lot more legal and bureaucratic uh, things you'll have to deal with. Oh, I see. So, so if you're starting a club, um, in Portugal at least, if you, if you present what you're doing as a cultural activity, I guess kind of like folk dancing might be, mm-hmm. um, then you end up with far fewer legal hassles and bureaucratic uh, problems than if you present it as we are training with weapons to hurt people. Exactly, because then you'd okay. have to <laughs> go into a lot more detail. Jogdu um, Pau, uh, for example, works a lot on the base of cultural activity. There is a lot of interest in, in rekindling um, a previous federation that existed, but that was uh, it didn't go too well. There is the groups are, are joining and talking about it. They're trying to organize themselves. But for now, it's working a lot on this premise. Uh, some of the groups also have associations, but in the association um, uh, uh, characteristics, they, they name it as a cultural activity. You could okay. you could also create a, a, an association because, uh, well, fortunately these days, uh, it's easier to do it in Portugal. There's one you can actually do it on the, right on the spot. Um, I don't remember the fee you have to pay, but it's if you gather, you have to gather at least uh, two people to do it, and then nine people to keep the association running because it has different um, association here in our legal terms has to maintain three three different areas running, and each three different areas has to have three people in it. So at least okay. nine, nine people to run an association. On the on the beneficial side of the association is that you'll have more ease working with public entities, um, with the public schools, for example, or with oh, okay. municipalities. And even if you're like listed as a cultural um, association, that's fine. You can later on you can add um, sports, uh, competition, uh, all of those codes because we, you have codes for that you can aggravate or add. Um, but yeah, but anyways, I think when you get down hands, uh, that's the that's the bureaucratic side or the formal side of of creating a, a group, right? Um, mm-hmm. When you have to get your hands down onto it, just there's so much information from um, Himalayans and like from your site, Guy Guy Winter, how to create a club. Uh, safety safety is important. Yeah, it just I think it's important to to look into that. You know, to know how to <laughs> to minimally uh, be apt. You know, if something happens. Uh, so first aid. <laughs> First aid is, I think, is a basic. Yeah, um, I think first aid is a basic. You're right. <laughs> and yeah, just uh, well, yeah, connect with the people. Uh, try and figure out if you want to deal with a lot of bureaucracy right at the beginning, or if you want to start something more informal. And uh, because right now, unfortunately, there aren't many federations 
backing up Hammer. Uh, and there is one that backs up, uh, that's a, a Kempo Federation that's backing up our, our association. But there's uh, the, the Portuguese um, fencing, Olympic Fencing Federation that uh, I think is also starting to move in that direction. But the thing is, it will always be in the beginning um, a discipline, you know, integrated, a minor discipline. So it won't probably have, I don't know how to say this. Um, Yeah, there will be a lot of uh, breaking ground in the beginning. (laughs) A lot of work to do. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have to ask, what has your sort of proudest, most enjoyable moment been in your fencing career so far, in your historical martial arts career? Uh, one of my uh, top moments and most exciting and still, still can't really get my head around how, how it happened <laughs> is, is there being invited um, to go to Minsk and see, uh, well, participate in him in the European Games. Um, it, it was uh, Tom, Tom Poy that invited, on behalf of the Iberian team, invited uh, me and, and Pedro Prito uh, to represent Portugal in the Iberian team. And it was just amazing. I think for me, because... I haven't been much out, you know, in, in sort of tournaments. The, <laughs> the maximum I've been to is in the north, in Galiza. And it was just amazing um, to, to see all of these other Hemayists and there were demonstration, uh, invitational demonstrations. Uh, the okay. The stage was set there near a river in the in the middle of the city of Minsk, and just like to see all these people gather around and and see our different um, colleagues, you know, showing uh, small sword, showing long sword, showing with armor, without armor. Uh, me and Pedro did joke the pal, and there was much going on. It was like just. <laughs> It's amazing, amazing. So, so, so you were doing demonstrations, correct? Demonstrations. It wasn't competitions or... Oh, there, was, there were two, but uh, I'm going off about the demonstrations because it was like, so I don't know, that moment that we were more connected probably with the, the crowd there. So it, it had this like probably more connection level for me that, that you know, I, I appreciate. And um, yeah, there were competitions too with... Fabulous, fabulous um, combats that were going on. Um, and, and it was also interesting to, you know, to n- learn about the Belarusian culture because I obviously was very ignorant about it. <laughs> and yeah, and this, it's just a, a, I really enjoyed it. And there was also. Um, uh, Gotti's um, collection in Roberto Gotti. Roberto Gotti's collection yeah. at the museum. Yeah, and wow. that was also amazing. So for me, it was like this, you know, this full experience of okay, you 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 get to see this, and you get because I've never been to to Roberto's Gotti Roberto Gotti's uh, exhibition in in Italia, Italy. In, so, yeah, it's in Brescia, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never been either. I mean, I I've corresponded with Roberto a little bit, and he actually I have a copy of Fabris from 1606, and I got it from Roberto. So, you know, we we have interacted, um, and yeah, but his collection is is unbelievable. It is. I mean, it has. Yeah, he, he has the manuscript copy of Capafero, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, all the all the manuscripts that were there, and like. And then you have uh, the different uh, type of weapons, like from clubs to to partisans to to rapiers to like it's just candy everywhere. <laughs> uh, Incredible. Yeah. Um, oh, he also after that exhibition, they they published two two 
two books, like two different collectors' books. One one is a smaller one that has like this uh, resume, you know, resumed version of of what was uh, presented there. And then they have this like bigger one, like really full. It's the full one, the complete one. <laughs> wow. Okay, I have to look those up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when was this event in Minsk? So it was run about the the summer solstice last year in 2019. Um, yeah, uh, I remember this because the logo uh, was the flower of a fern. Uh, ferns usually ferns are uh, briotic; they don't have flowers. So uh, it's a, it has to do with a, a legend there in in Belarus. Uh, okay. And I, that's why I remember it was that during that time. <laughs> so, are you a botanist? Uh, yes. <laughs> really? Uh, well, uh, I'm a I'm a botanist enthusiast because in in reality I work a lot with botany and I love botany. I'm a landscape architect, architect so I work a lot. You're with not. Hmm? Are you? You're a la- you're a landscape architect. That's fantastic. Yeah. My aunt my aunt is a retired landscape architect. Oh and, really? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, well, okay, if you ever come to Ipswich, then I need you to have a look at my garden. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you can tell us what we're doing wrong, because my wife and I, uh, it's the first time we've ever actually owned a garden. We we, we bought one last year. Uh, well, we bought a house which had a garden last year, and it's the first time we've actually owned a garden. And so we're doing all sorts of things, and we're probably doing most of it wrong. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very helpful to have some professional advice. So tell you what, you come to Ipswich, and um, I can, you know, we can do some longsword and we can do some rapier, and then you can like tell me what I'm doing wrong in the garden. Oh, I, I think that <laughs> I accept, but uh, that's all just good, great stuff for me because <laughs> just <laughs> to be there and look at the plants. I'd be, oh, this is all wonderful. You don't have to change anything. <laughs> uh, Okay. Um, all right. So, getting slightly we're slightly off track there, but that's mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, okay. So, I have a couple of questions that I tend to ask my guests towards the end, and the first of those is, what is the best idea you've never acted on? <laughs> well, I hope that I have more ideas because <laughs> the best one is still um, cooking, like. Uh, I tried to, you know, I produced a, a small little uh, dissertation to for my instructor's degree, and mm-hmm. it was, I guess, the idea was was for it to be quite, you know, complete, but um, it didn't end up being as complete as I wished it would be, um, and then later on I started you know, naturally just like taking it to lessons and writing down and things that I, I noticed that were uh, were different in terms of interpretation or that I saw different details or, you know, and I started thinking, well, this would be great to, to have like a workbook, maybe in the future, you know, have a, a, a more clean uh, workbook. But it's something that actually is quite similar to what you have already produced. Um that I only found out recently because I think Pedro had to- told me about it, but at the time you were still working on it. And then, um, well, I looked at yours and I thought, hey, it, it's something like this. So that's like my best idea, I think. <laughs> but okay, I- so you're, you're going to take your dissertation, um, which I actually have open on the screen in front of me right now. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> um, you're going to take that and you're going to – expand it into a book yeah th- i'd like to do that but um okay. I, i'm not sure when i uh, probably next year i'd start you know slowly working on it mm-hmm. and just let it simmer in and those are one of the okay. things, yeah all right um well okay here's the thing I, any any time one of my guests on the show says that they are going to be writing a book, I, I make them promise when the book comes out, they'll come back on the show and tell us about it. <laughs> so will you will you will you come back and tell us all about your book when it's actually done? When it's done, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. And 
in the meantime, if you have any trouble mm-hmm. um, with the whole process, um, I have quite a lot of experience in both writing books and publishing them. So if you get stuck, just send me an email or whatever, and uh, I'll do what I can to get you unstuck. I, I deeply appreci- appreciate that because I do get stuck with writing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and the thing is, you know, it, it does the historical martial arts community good for us to have more books um, written by more people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad that there aren't really very many people who've published on, for example, Fiore. There's, there's me and there's um, Tom Leone has produced his translation and there's the Freelance Academy Press kind of a series of books and then there's Ken Monshine has produced one and um, uh, Bob Charette has, or Robert Charette has produced a book called Armadari as well. So there's like, there's really only four or five authors there mm. who have produced, should we say, other than just translations, have, have maybe three or four of us have produced books which have like explanation and interpretation and basically our perspective on the manuscript and our perspective on the art that it represents. Mm. Okay. So that is not nearly enough. Um, we need more points of view. And so anything I could do to help more points of view come to light, then this is sort of, I, I consider it sort of part of my job to do that. So, so seriously, if you, if you want any help, just let me know. Okay. That, that, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Okay. So, so this, this, that's the best idea that you have not acted on mm-hmm. yet. Exactly. Yet. <laughs> okay. Yet. Yet is a really important word. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, now, so my last question is somebody gives you a million pounds or dollars or any other currency. Um, it's imaginary money, so you can pretty much have as much of it as you want in whatever currency you like to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide. What, how would you spend the money? Oh, my gosh. I, I'm going to say something that probably is like gibberish, but <laughs> it's a fantasy. Okay. So, um, Go for it. I would try and, and like use part of that money, not all of it, uh, to make him a kind of like a world heritage um, a practice. <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> That would have like um, would have uh, uh, I just say uh, a said uh, a base a base mm-hmm. uh, where any any hammer practitioner in, in practitioner in the world could go to and just like stay for a couple of days or uh, whenever they went, but they'd have to like. Um, contribute you know for um for a study or, or or for training and in this in the space or facility um there would be events year round um a really good library like mm-hmm. full, full packed library with all the copy or facsimiles of the the manuscripts that we know of um so it'd be like almost a, <laughs> a how do you say, a holy, holy grail place. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Where would it be? That's a, that's a very sensitive <laughs> topic. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure where it'd be. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I built something a bit <laughs> like that in Helsinki because, you mm. know, I... I have my school um, and, you know, I own the space that the school trains in and there is a library. It's not as com- comprehensive as it could be, but there are like facsimiles of most of the manuals that people would be interested in, in seeing and students can come and um, stay there for free. And you know, so if, if people are coming from abroad or even from you know, parts of Finland, they can, it's not strictly legal, um, because it's an industrial space and so you're not supposed to sleep there. But, you know, if people come and they bring a sleeping bag, or whatever, they can they can stay there for free, um, which is particularly helpful when they're coming you know, really long distance and they don't have, you know, they've spent all this money on flights and what have you. They've got no money left over for hotels or whatever. So they stay in the cell and 
they can train all day and interact with the students and uh, either take classes or teach classes or whatever. So, and, and it, it makes a huge difference to the kind of to the to the culture that we're trying to create if there is a place like that where people can come and train and it's not expensive and it's 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 there to create these kind of connections between people and so that people from different parts of the world can meet each other and people from different training cultures can interact and what have you so um i've done that on a very small scale and it's brilliant it really works. So I think you should definitely take the money and do it. But the question is where? And I would suggest it needs to be somewhere that is cheap to travel to. Cheap to travel to? Yes. I think it's cheap to travel to Portugal. So maybe we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. That's fair. And if it's your if it's your center, you can put it wherever you want. So um so I mean Portugal would make sense. Yeah, and we would obviously have like these lovely gardens where everybody could chill. And the, that's amazing. I didn't know that you had that in Helsinki. And uh, if I knew about it before, <laughs> I would have acted upon it. But, um, yeah, I think that the World Heritage thing that I was trying to mention is just, you know, to, to make it easier for beginning clubs to, to start. Uh, I don't know if that would help, you know, having this um, – status of <laughs> an activity yeah. that is like uh, globally protected as culture so um i i think it may help in it this. certainly wouldn't hurt particularly with things like weapons regulations mm-hmm. yeah that's true you know if 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 i need um you know if 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 we need swords or blades or whatever and they're restricted in in a particular country if they are part of a recognized cultural activity it's fine it's like if i walk down the street with a a foot long so 30 centimeter blade stuck in my belt Mm -hmm. the police are very much going to oh and another one in my sock a shorter one in my sock (laughs) people are going to be like no i'm sorry you have to go to jail now but if i am dressed in traditional scottish clothing Uh kilt and jacket or what have you and it's just part of the regalia yeah. no one looks twice they're like oh that's cool yeah that's, that's totally acceptable <laughs> exactly yeah, so so i think actually you may be on something there i've never really, even really thought of because there must be some process by which a cultural practice is becomes recognized as a as part of a kind of world's cultural heritage i have yeah, no yeah. idea about anything like that yeah, I guess it has to be proposed by several different um, uh, institutes from different countries, I think. Okay. Uh, I also have no idea. Like, I'm just imagining it would be like that, the process. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we should look into it. Yeah, why not? Okay, all right. <laughs> Let's do that, and we, and we, <laughs> shall, we, shall, we shall see what, what needs to happen for... For, I guess it would be something like the United Nations that would give out the recognition. Mm. Okay. United Nations. Yeah. I would guess. Mm. All right. I will. I much, will um... much searching to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well let, let's let's hope let's hope we can get this done. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. All right. Well. Okay, I think that's probably a good place to to finish on. Thank you very much for talking to me today, Jessica. It's been really interesting. Thank you. It was lovely to talk to you too. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Jessica Gomesh. Remember to go along to guywindsor.net forward slash podcast for the episode show notes and for your free copy of Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. As always, thanks to the wonderful patrons on patreon.com forward slash the sword guy who generously contribute to keeping this show on the road and the microphone switched on. Patrons also get the chance to pose questions to my upcoming guests and follow up questions to past guests. And generally, they are the first people I ask when considering a guest for the show or considering any changes to the format, that sort of thing. So if you want to get involved, that's the best way to do it. 
patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. Now, tune in next week when I will be talking to none other than Lauren Juliet Ings, who is an instructor at the Staccato School of Defense in Sydney. She's also a circus performer, burlesque dancer and actor. It's a really fun episode. You don't want to miss it. So subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, if you have a moment to rate it and review it, that would be brilliant. Every little helps to get the word out. And of course, if you're listening to this and you think your friends would enjoy it, feel free to share. Sharing is caring people. And the more we get the word out, the better the show will become. I'll see you next week.